The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Well, good morning. Welcome once again to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Let us go before Him in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You for this opportunity to reflect on a risen Savior. Father God, I thank You for an opportunity to look at Your Word. And I pray that You'd be with us, that You would allow us to worship You in spirit and in truth. God, that You would work mightily in our hearts and in our minds. God, that Your Word would penetrate into our soul, into our hearts, into our minds and transform the way we live. God, I pray that we would not just be merely hearers of the Word, but also doers of Your Word. God, I pray and ask that You'd be with all the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, that they too would worship You in spirit and truth. That the Gospel, the good news of salvation would come forward from the pulpits of these churches. And God, that lives would be changed. God, I pray and ask a special blessing on Sprucehead Community Church as they gather this morning. God, our, our friends in the Gospel, our neighbors, God, that You would just bless their ministry mightily, that You'd bless Pastor Chris and the leaders there, and that You'd work mightily in that ministry for Your glory. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So we're going to look at John 10 this morning. And we've been working our way, if you've been here, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to kind of take a break from 1 Corinthians for one week and look at John 10, and then we're going to jump back into the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on an introduction to John 10. I think the, the passage speaks for itself. Plus, I have a lot of text here and a lot of notes that I need to cover. If you're, if you're a visitor and you've heard that the sermons are long, I assure you they are not I would encourage you, though, to get comfortable. (laughs) So without further ado, let's look at John 10, verses 11 through 18. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John 10, verses 11 through 18. This is the words of Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock, with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So it might seem odd to some that I would choose this passage for Easter Sunday. I mean, after all, shouldn't we be discussing the Gospel account that Bill read earlier? 
Shouldn't our eyes be fixed on the resurrected Christ this morning? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Yes, it is appropriate for us to reflect on the resurrection this morning, and that is the very reason I chose this passage. Here in John 10, verses 17 through 18 specifically, Jesus says something remarkable. He says, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And he says this clearly with the death and resurrection in view. So it's my prayer that as we work through this passage this morning, we have not just a clear understanding of the events of that first Easter morning, not just the events of that glorious morning when the tomb was found to be empty, but also who this resurrected Jesus is. Who this Jesus who has been raised from the dead is and the implications that that resurrection has in our own lives. So Jesus begins this section by saying, I am the Good Shepherd. And while this phrase may not be readily understood by the modern reader, it was clear that Jesus was making a very bold statement with these words. In fact, it was repeated statements like this that caused the Jews to want to crucify Him and ultimately led to His crucifixion. For in saying this, Jesus was claiming to be God. When He said, I am the Good Shepherd, He was clearly making a claim that He was God. In an effort to understand this, I want you to consider God's interaction with Moses in Exodus 3. It's there that God comes to Moses in the form of a burning bush, and He tells him to go to Egypt and bring the sons of Israel out of captivity. And then in verses 13-15, through 15, we read this, Exodus 3, 13-15. Then Moses said to God, he's speaking to this burning bush, he says, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? He says, I'm going to go. I'll tell, I'll tell them what you're telling me, but I know what they're going to say. They're going to say, what's this God's name that you're saying is sending you? He says, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name. In other words, the name by which I am to be remembered for to all generations. You see, God says to Moses, My name is I Am. And that's the name by which all generations shall know me. So Jesus comes here in John 10, and He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Unless there be any confusion, or we think this is just a coincidence, or a slip of the tongue, or not that He could easily say, I am something else without referring to God, I want you to consider other passages within the same Gospel, the Gospel of John, where Jesus clearly makes the same claim that He is God. I'm going to run through these really quick. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 8.12, Then Jesus spoke, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who believes, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, verses 7 and 9, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He goes on in verse 5 of John 15, it says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then probably one of the most remarkable times when Jesus says, I am, is John 8, verses 56 through 59. There we read, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And the response, verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The immediate response was, kill him! Because they understood what he was saying. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was even born, not I was, not I existed, I am. I am God. He's clearly making this claim to be God in the flesh. So when Jesus, here in John 10.11 says, I am the Good Shepherd. Make no mistake about it. He is making a claim to be God. That's why there's such a strong reaction in verses 19 through 21 of John 10. Verses 19 through 21, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, He has a demon and he's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? See, the same is true today. When the claims of Jesus and the Bible are understood that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, it creates a dividing line. And some will say, why do you listen to Him? That's craziness. Some would say that about me. Why do you listen to Him? That's crazy. He's insane. He has a demon or something, right? Why do you listen to Him? While others say, why do you listen to Jesus? His claims must be true. For He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind. And those who have had their eyes open to the truth of who Jesus is, see this and they say, He opens the eyes of the blind! Surely He's not demon-possessed. His claims to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, are evident throughout Scripture. And they're even more evident when we understand that in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a shepherd again and again and again. So when Jesus comes here and says, I am 
the Good Shepherd. He's making an even deeper claim to be God. Ezekiel 34, verses 11-15, through 15, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd cares for his herd. In the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. And he goes on and he says, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to nourish them. I'm going to lead them where they go. I will feed my flock, verse 15, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. Psalm 79, 13. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. Or Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And Jeremiah 23.1 Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And of course, most of us are familiar with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. And and God, throughout the Old Testament, is portrayed as a shepherd. God's name is I Am. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the Good Shepherd. And when He does so, He's not merely saying, I am a Good Shepherd. But instead, He's saying, I am the Good Shepherd. The Greek here is interesting. The Greek literally reads, I am the Shepherd, the Good One. Thus, he is saying that he is uniquely good, for he is God. He's set apart from all other shepherds. There are other shepherds in the Old Testament, and men are referred to as shepherds, shepherds of the nation of Israel, shepherds of God's people, but there's no shepherd like God himself, for he is the perfect shepherd. So with this in mind, let's consider the person and work of this perfect shepherd, Jesus. So the first point in our sermon outline, how's that for an introduction? The first point in our sermon outline regarding this good shepherd is, number one, he loves his sheep. Number one, he loves his sheep. Look at verses 11 through 15 with me of John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees this hired hand because he is a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. To hear Jesus contrast the way He relates to His sheep with the way a hired hand would relate to those in His care. A hired hand does his job because he gets paid. Or at least because he gets something out of it. My father used to love to say, in fact he had a sign in the backyard that said, find a job that you love and you'll never work another day in your life. And that may seem true, but even that is self-serving. Find a job that you enjoy. Find a job that you benefit from. It may not be about money. You may love to do it. But even that is self-serving. The good shepherd is not self-serving, but self-sacrificing. 
See, when the hired hand sees that the work may cost him something, he flees. The good shepherd doesn't just love his work. He loves the sheep. And that's the point. It's not the kind of love that refers to a mere affection. It's agape love. Sacrificial love. Agape, the Greek word meaning to love for the benefit of the one being loved. To give and give and give of oneself expecting nothing in return. So the hired hand may very well enjoy what he does. But he's not truly concerned about the sheep over and above himself. He may care for the sheep, but not over and above himself. The good shepherd, however, the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the benefit of his sheep, expecting nothing in return. And that is exactly what the gospel is all about. So as we think about, if you're here today and you think, what is all of this Jesus dying and this blood and being nailed to a cross and then being raised on the third day? What does all of this have to do with anything today? What does this have to do with me? Well, I encourage you, it has a lot to do with us. That Jesus, the Scripture teaches, that all of us have gone astray. That all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've disobeyed God's commands. We have not lived up to God's law. The Scripture teaches that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one is perfect. See, we've all broken God's law. And some of us have broken a lot more laws than others, right? Bill Batty may have lived a little bit cleaner life than Jason Pauley. But it doesn't matter. He hasn't lived a perfect, sinless life. Scripture teaches that the penalty for sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And that should should concern us. But Scripture also teaches that Jesus paid our sin debt. That Imagine a judge who's standing before you and says, you are guilty. And Jesus comes in and says, I'll pay the price. I'll take the fine. He paid our sin debt. That's what the death of Christ is all about. He lays down His life. But we also know that He defeated death and sin. That He was raised on that third day. That death didn't keep Him down. That He was raised showing that He was indeed God. So when we gather on Easter morning and we reflect on the resurrection, we know that Jesus was truly God. Because He was the one who had the authority to lay down his own life. I asked last year, I said, who killed Jesus? Right? And this is a question that gets asked every Easter. Who killed Jesus? Was it, was it the Jews that killed Jesus? And that's not politically correct, by the way, to say that. Though when you read Scripture, the answer is yes. Right? Was it the Gentiles that killed Jesus? The answer is yes. Was it us that killed Jesus? Yes. Because of our sin. Was it God the Father who killed Jesus? Yes, Scripture even says God was well pleased to put Him to death. Was it Jesus who killed Jesus? Yes. He says, I and the, uh, and the Father, we are one, and I lay down my own life. God in the flesh came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He took the punishment that we deserve. And He was raised on that third day, defeating death and sin and suffering so that we might live in Him. See, that's what the Gospel is all about. Laying down of one's life for the benefit 
of His sheep. That's why Jesus can come and say, I am the Good Shepherd. I'm like no other shepherd. I have the authority to lay down my life, but I also have authority to lift it, to take it back up again, to be raised from the dead. Think of us living in America. We uh, live in a country where many people have died for our freedom. Praise God. Right? But they don't, they don't come back. They die for our freedom. And they don't have the ability to take back their life. They don't have the ability to defeat death. So what has to happen? Another sacrifice. Another generation has to raise up and say, I will fight and I will die for freedom's sake all over again. But Jesus says, this is the one sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, because I have defeated death once and for all. See, Jesus laid down His life for those who know Him as their shepherd. Notice the relationship that exists between the good shepherd and his sheep. Between Jesus and His people. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. The word know indicates something far greater than knowing that someone exists. The word know carries with it an intimate knowledge. That's why we actually say to talk about knowing somebody in the biblical sense. It's an intimate knowledge. That's why Jesus goes on to say this, knowing is even or is like the way the Father knows Him and He knows the Father. He says, my sheep know me and I know my sheep like the way I know my Father. It's intimate. It refers to a relationship. It's the kind of knowing where Jesus says in verse 27 of this very chapter, He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's the kind of knowing where in Scripture it says Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. It's an intimate knowing. It's a relationship that exists. It's a true, loving relationship. So having seen the first point in our sermon outline, number one, he loves his sheep, right? He loves his sheep. He knows his sheep. He's involved in their lives. He's concerned about them. And they know him and they hear his voice. We now look to the second point in our sermon outline. Number two, he unites his sheep. Not only does he love his sheep, but he unites his sheep. Look at verse 16 with me. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The other sheep that Jesus is referring to here are the Gentiles. Remember, He's speaking to a Jewish audience. So He's telling them that He has other sheep that are currently not within this fold, within this sheep pen, is what He's literally saying. But He plans to unite them into one flock with one shepherd. That's why Paul says in the, Ephesian, the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses, uh, starting at verse 10, He says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, formerly the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the... the, the, You're called Gentiles by the so-called circumcision by the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall 
by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he says, this is, this is you being knit together, being fitted together, and growing into a temple of the Lord. So that you are being built into the dwelling of God. So he says you're being united. That though there were once Jews and Gentiles and they were separate, that now God has made them one in Christ. They are now one flock with one shepherd. So we saw earlier in John 10.19, Jesus is a great divider of persons. That on some sense, we, we look at verses 19-21, through 21, and this division occurs among the Jews. Because many are saying, he has a demon. He's crazy. What is this Jesus even talking about? And others say, no, no. He has the words of life. And the same is true today. That Jesus is a divider of persons. That's why Jesus said, from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They'll be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. He says they're going to be divided because Jesus is a dividing line. And we have to make a decision on who Jesus is. Jesus claimed to be God. So when we understand that, we need to either say, yes, I believe Jesus, or no, I do not. Yes, I accept who Jesus is, or no, I do not. I reject this Jesus. So he's a great divider of persons. See that in the world today. But we also see here in John that he unites those who are in him. In other words, while some remain outside the sheep pen, separated from the flock because they don't know the shepherd and they can't hear his voice, others do hear his voice. And when they do, they listen and obey and become one with the flock of God. And when they do, they find in him the safety and security that only the good shepherd can provide. See, when I was 19 years old, I was an unbeliever. I, I had gone to church a little bit when I was a kid. I remember telling people, my parents are so religious, they go to church twice on Sunday. Once to drop me off and once to pick me up. Because they thought it was good for me to go to Sunday school. And you know what I got out of going to, going to Sunday school? Unfortunately, I got nothing out of going to Sunday school. I don't remember a thing. Uh, I remember making crafts and things like that. I don't ever remember opening this book. Not sure we ever did. But when I became, when I was 19 years old, I heard his voice. I was walking this way. I was deep in sin. God picked me up. He turned me around and he said, Follow me. He said, Follow me. Son, your sins have been forgiven. It is by grace that you have been forgiven. That yes, your sins are great, but my sacrifice is greater, greater than all your sin. And I turned and I followed Jesus. And do you know what I inherited? I inherited a family. I became united with the church of God. And if that was not the case, I assure you, on Sunday morning at 10 minutes at noon, this is not where I would be. Right? That the world sees people driving to church and they go, what are they doing? Like this, you got a couple of days off. Stay home. Sleep in. But we're united. We're one flock with one shepherd seeking to follow Him. He unites His flock. And when I became a follower of Jesus, I gained a family. I became united with other believers. That's why in Ephesians, Paul also says that this 
this uniting. He gives some as apostles, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And he does this for the building up of the body of Christ so that we may encourage one another and build each other up in love. That There's a purpose to that. It's for the good of the sheep. See, a shepherd has many sheep and he unites the sheep for their good. So having seen, number one, he loves his sheep, that he knows his sheep, he's involved in their lives, he's concerned about them, and they know him and hear his voice. And number two, he unites his sheep, he brings them together into one flock with one shepherd for his glory and for their good. Now let's consider the third point in our sermon outline. The third point is, number three, he remains with his sheep. Don't miss this. Number three, the good shepherd remains with his sheep. Verses 17 through 18 says this. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. The, uh, the Greek, more literally, I think should be read here. Uh, because the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I may take it up again. The two are inseparable. It isn't that Jesus says, God loves me because I'm obedient. Or even that He says, I'm obedient because God loves me. You see, obedience and love for God go hand in hand for Jesus as they do with us. That they're inseparable. That God loves us and we obey. And we obey and God loves us. That you cannot separate the two. So he says that. He says in uh, verse 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me. For this reason I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You might be asking, what does all of this have to do with Easter? You started by saying, this is about Easter, this is about the resurrection, I hope you see this. I hope you see that this is all about the resurrection. I began by saying that it's my prayer that as we work through this passage, we would not just have a clear understanding of the events that took place, that day when the tomb was discovered to be empty, but instead, who the resurrected Jesus is. Who this Jesus is, who calls Himself the Good Shepherd, and the implications of His resurrection in our lives. See, Jesus, the resurrected One, wants us to know that He is indeed the Good Shepherd. The One who is uniquely good. That He's the perfect Shepherd. And that as the perfect Shepherd, He not only died for His sheep, He not only took our place on the cross, but He unites His sheep in Him. He calls those who are His into fellowship with Him and with each other. But also, but also that He remains with them and continues to shepherd them. So He says, I'm the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, He dies for His sheep, He lays down His life for His sheep, He unites the sheep, but also He remains with His sheep and continues to To shepherd them. You see, Jesus is not the kind of shepherd who saw the wolf coming and fled. He makes that clear. But neither is He the kind of shepherd who saw the wolf coming and died protecting the sheep only to leave them defenseless. Jesus is not the kind of shepherd who says there's a wolf coming and stands between the wolf and dies killing the wolf just for another wolf to come in and destroy the sheep. Jesus doesn't die protecting the sheep only to leave leave them defenseless. Instead, 
He's the perfect shepherd who conquered death and he shepherds his flock today. So when we think about the resurrection, when Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. In light of the fact that he's called himself a good shepherd, that you need to know that he is still shepherding his sheep today. That he loves you. That he unites you to the rest of his sheep. But that he still cares for you today. This is not a message about a shepherd who died, but a shepherd who lives and continues to shepherd. And that's the beauty of the resurrection. So we think about a risen Savior and we sing these songs, we should sing them with joy. He lives. He lives. Right? He walks with me. He talks with me. That's what He does as He shepherds us today. So as a review... He loves his sheep. He knows them. He's involved in their lives. He's concerned about them. And they know and hear his voice. He unites his sheep. He brings them together in one flock with him as their shepherd for his glory and their good. And number three, he remains with his sheep. He remains with his sheep today. He's a living shepherd who actively cares for and watches over his sheep. So here's the question we've all been waiting for. So how can we, as Harmony Bible Church, individually and corporately, specifically, apply this to our lives? How can we take this passage, and both as individuals and as a church, as a body, as a united body, specifically apply this and live it out? Because if we walk away with just some facts, but it doesn't change the way we live, if it doesn't affect our lives, then we've missed the mark. So how do we live it out? Number one, we need to remember that the Good Shepherd loves His sheep. We need to remember the Gospel. That in our private prayer lives and devotion lives, we need to remember the Gospel. We need to read the Scriptures and look for the Gospel. We need to see the Gospel working mightily in our lives. We need to pray and thank God for His grace in sending His Son Jesus to die in our place but also thank Him for His resurrection and the fact that He shepherds us today. We need to remember that the Good Shepherd loves His sheep. He cares for us. That there's no sin that you've committed that is too big for Him to forgive. That there's no sin that He looks at you with disgust and says, I don't love them. But instead, He loves His sheep. That He has great concern for His sheep. He knows His sheep. Oftentimes better than we are always better than we know ourselves. So we need to remember the Gospel. We need to remember that He's the Good Shepherd who loves us. Number two, we need to gather to lift up the Gospel. As we gather every Sunday morning, we need to, in worship, in giving, in communion, in baptism, we need to lift up the Gospel. Remember the Gospel. Direct our gaze to the Gospel. You see, we don't gather on Sunday morning to try to figure out some obscure passage and, and what it means, what the, what the sons of God in Genesis 6 are. That's important to study those things, but if we study those things and separate them from the good news of Jesus Christ, that, di- that Christ died for our sins, then again, we've missed the mark. We need to gather to lift up the Gospel, and we need to proclaim the Gospel to the world around us. We need to lean, be willing to lean over the fence in our backyard and say, you know, I was headed this way, but Jesus picked me up and He turned me around. And you won't believe what he did in my life. 
that I know He lives. I know He lives because He lives inside my heart. We need to proclaim the gospel to those around us. Number two, we need to remember the good shepherd unites his sheep. See, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you today, hear His voice. Be united to the flock under the perfect shepherd. I'm not saying, come join Harmony Bible Church. I'm not saying that you need to somehow be connected to a church and that that somehow is going to make you right with God. What I'm saying is you have a shepherd who loves you, who desires to lay down his life for you. And what he will naturally do, whether you ask for it or not, he's going to unite you with his sheep. That we become one in him. But you have a shepherd who loves you. Hear his voice and be united to the perfect shepherd. Be united to his flock. But if you are a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a member of his flock, then I encourage you to continue to heed his voice and point the other sheep to the shepherd. That we have a responsibility to each other to say, look to Jesus, follow Jesus, hear his voice. He's a good shepherd. He loves you. He laid down his life for you. And then number three, remember that the good shepherd remains with his sheep. You see, yes, he laid down his life, but he had the authority to take it back up again. He died in our place, but he also rose from the grave, defeating death, so that all of those who are his can cry out, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in that section, he says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. See, we need to dwell on this day in and day out, that the good shepherd remains with his sheep, that we need to rest in his perfect love and care. That though it may seem like we're wandering around aimlessly, we have a shepherd who lives He loves us, He unites us with the flock of God, and He remains with us today. Take courage and follow Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for the Good Shepherd. Not just a Good Shepherd, but the Good Shepherd the one who loves his sheep, the one who unites his sheep and cares for his sheep, the one who brings them into the protective fold, and the one who lives to continue to shepherd his sheep today. Father, I thank you that we serve a risen Savior. God, be with us now and help us to live in light of these truths. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to remember the gospel, help us to encourage the other sheep, help us to proclaim the gospel that others may be invited in. I praise you for the, for the promise that there are other sheep and that they will indeed hear his voice. God, I pray that if there are any here today who have heard the call of God, that they will indeed come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray and ask that you'd be with us as we remember that Jesus is the good shepherd who remains with us, that he's here with us now, and he's with us not only now, 
But lo, even now and always until the end of the age, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.